Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestoninzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. When I started the Sales IQ Podcast, I started it with one goal in mind, to help sellers become the very best they can be. Now, in a world where there is so much incredible content, there are so many podcasts that I listen to, so many books that I read, one would say, hey, why do sellers need more content to help them be the best they can be? Because the more content a sales professional can engage with, the better they will get. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so as I reflect upon you know, all the episodes, all the incredible people that I've had on the podcast, we decided this week for our 150th episode to compile sort of the best, the best of the Sales IQ podcast best hits. And we decided to break this episode down from 10 different episodes from the likes of Seth Godin and Brad Lee and Craig Ballantyne, you know, the, the, the king of sales, Jeffrey Gittimore, just to take some snippets of each of the podcasts, because sometimes when I go back, not just to the Sales IQ podcast, but other podcasts, I hear the content from a different perspective. And so this week, we've got some incredible content that we've compiled. We've gone through a whole bunch of episodes and taken some key snippets to help you be the very best you can be. Revenue operations is much more than words in a job title. It's a movement that is transforming sales, marketing, and customer success teams into high-performing revenue drivers. RingDNA is a recognized Gartner cool vendor that makes RevOps possible by driving improved operational efficiency and revenue capture from sales, marketing, and customer success. Trusted by the top companies across the globe, RingDNA offers a complete sales engagement, conversational intelligence, and revenue intelligence platform for Salesforce customers. Learn how we can transform your results at ringdna.com. That's ringdna.com. And as we progress to the last stage of 2021, it's hard to actually, you know, when you look at what has been an incredible tough year for many, but we, we are almost in 2022. For many of you, you're, you're working hard on getting some deals across the line before this last quarter for the calendar year ends. And for many, you're starting to set up what will be an incredibly strong first quarter for next year. We have the Create Pipeline program, which is delivering incredible results for sellers from a variety of different industries from all over the world. We have a few openings for the next cohort. If you're keen, hit me up on LinkedIn or jump on salesiqglobal.com, go to courses and check out the Create Pipeline program. The results our participants are seeing are amazing. It's a coaching cohort as well. So you will have the opportunity each and every week to engage with myself and Tony. We come together on a Zoom call on top of a whole bunch of incredible modules that you'll get all aimed at helping you create net new self-generated quality opportunities for yourself. Don't let 2022 control you. You have the opportunity to control your pipeline in the new year. Enjoy this episode. I'm very much looking forward to hitting the 200 episodes next year. We have some incredible guests coming on. 
Um, we're going to change up some of the content as well in the new year. So look out for some refreshed content, different perspectives, because we do this for one reason, to help you be the very best you can be. Episode 37 from November 2019 with Gab Larson, how to optimize your sales cadence. It's just so many people, they hear these words now, cadence, sequence, play. And I feel like some people are like, yeah, yeah I, 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 think that I, I think I understand it. But in order, and I'll make this short, but guys, in order to build a good play, in order to build a good sequence, I went to my data science team. I said, guys, look at these these data points. Look at as many as you can. And we've got you know billions and millions of data points and all these different activities companies kind of use our, our software. Anyways, I said, break it down for me. Just so if I went and trained as someone who'd never done sales before, I can't just tell them, do a cadence. Yeah. I got to tell them, what, what is a cadence? So I love the definition, but we then really came out with these five pillars. And I think that'll dovetail nicely into yeah, kind of perfect. some of these elements. So let me just go through because it'll set the stage. Guys, number one is attempts and everyone knows that they're gay, but got it. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. And even my data science team said, it looks like everybody gets that people are doing it and they're, they're understanding the second pillar we call media. And that's the media pattern used, right? Are we using, um, just like we said, which of the channels are we using? We're we using phone, email, voicemail. How are we mixing and merging them? When are we mixing and merging them? So number two is media. Number three is duration. And this is an often forgot one. How long long should your cadence be? We can sit here and talk about it. You might have an opinion. I might have an opinion, but what does the data say? Um, and duration is start to finish. So I start on a Monday, I end on the next Monday. That's a total of X number of days, right? That's the length of my, my cadence. Next was spacing. Spacing is time between each activity. Do I do a call on Monday and then email on Tuesday? Do I do two calls on Monday and then another email on Wednesday? How do I space out those activities? Yeah. And then last but not least was content. Content, even with the team, this this is kind of the cherry on top, right? Hard to kind of really depict and break down because you can send one great email and all of a sudden it explodes the rest of your cadence because you get that response and you're now in dialogue. But attempts, media, duration, space, and content, as these are the DNA of a cadence, as you're thinking about building them, if you're not maximizing each one of those points, I, th I think you're, you're, yeah. you're a mess. Finding your tribe with the incredible Seth Godin. This was episode 42 back in March, 2020. Most of us have no chance of creating a tribe. Okay. The tribe, Steve Jobs did not create the tribe of computer nerds. Mm. Yeah, he just yeah. showed up to lead them. Bob yeah. Marley did not invent the Rastafarians. He just showed up to lead them. The Beatles didn't invent teenagers. Yeah. They just showed up to lead them, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's this group of people there who, before I showed up, knew they wanted to do work they were proud of, knew they wanted to count, knew they wanted to get through the things that were holding them back. And I'm like, well, there's a bunch of us over here doing that. You want mm. to come? But if I went away tomorrow, they'd still be here. And so I ask um, everyone of my guests this, is sales an art or a science? Well, this is complicated. First of all, Sales and marketing are really different things. It's a thousand times easier to sell if you have good marketing. Mm. There are all these people who claim to have built Google and the sales side. No, <laughs> Google built Google, you just took orders. Yeah. Let's be really clear. <laughs> if you'd been at Lycos or Alta Vista, you wouldn't have saved those companies. Yeah. Google built Google. 
That's where marketing swaps sales. Art is what I call it when a human being does something that might not work on behalf of someone else. Yeah. Science is a very specific thing. And science is repeatedly failing with an open mind in search of something that works. And so by those two definitions, selling is both. Yeah. And most people don't do either. Most people follow the manual. They are a cog in the system. And that's why they're not any good at it. I mean, it's probably hard to isolate to one thing, but what's something that comes to mind that you would do differently in your career? Well, the problem with that is if I did something differently, I wouldn't be here now because yeah. I changed history. <laughs> yeah. And so I would do all the failures all over again. Yeah. Every failure benefited my ability to go to where I got. I would try, if I could still have the same outcome, to make sure no innocent bystanders got let down. I, you know... We, I saw the internet coming long before anybody else. And when the World Wide Web showed up, I famously said to my team, this is stupid, it's never gonna work. Yeah. Well, let's go back to email. Well, that cost me 40, 50 billion dollars. <laughs> and it cost my team all that upside. Yeah. So I would prefer to help them out by being right about that. <laughs> but on the other hand, if I had done that, I wouldn't have invented email marketing. Yeah. And inventing email marketing is a pretty cool thing to Absolutely. be able to say you did. The Power of Growth Mindset with Brad Lee, episode 41 from May 2020. Well, number one, you know, I like to call it the million dollar morning. So if I gave someone a million dollars, they'd be elated. They'd probably be pumped for the whole month, maybe even the whole year, depending on their income and lifestyle. But if I gave you a million dollars cash right now, would you be fired up? Pretty much. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fired up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone would be fired up. They'd be excited, you know? So, so, so you got to think about this waking up in the morning is more valuable than a million dollars. And I can prove it because if I said, I'll give you a million dollars, but you're done when you wake up, you'll have no more, you know, you're done. If I give you a million dollars, nobody would want the million dollars to, to trade it for their life. So that means when you open your eyes, when you open your eyes in the morning, you must realize that you just received a gift more valuable than a million dollars. Yeah. So, so nobody realizes that, but if you really put that into perspective, you wouldn't take a million dollars to not wake up, which means waking up is worth more to you than a million dollars. So every morning you're receiving something worth more than a million dollars. So how can you be pissed off? How can you be grumpy? How can you think, Oh, I got to go to work and I got to prospect and man, all these problems. No, you get to go to work. You get to prospect. And when it boils down to it, dude, the more hands you shake, the more money you make bottom line. Yeah. And right now you can shake more hands virtually than you can physically anyway. Yeah. So there's no better time on earth to be in sales than right now. So how do you fix your mindset? Ultimately you wake up realizing that you're very lucky that you got to wake up period. Yeah. And that puts your mind in the right perspective. And now you're now, now everything seems like an opportunity and you get up with a different mindset altogether because you're grateful. The gratitude is overwhelming. And then what I do is I like to focus on four things in the morning, my health, my mind, my relationships, and my money. So what I do is I spend a minimum, doesn't matter how busy I am, a minimum of 15 minutes, usually you know an hour, but 15 minutes on my health, and I make sure I eat at least one healthy meal. Then I spend 15 minutes minimum on my mind by reading a non-fiction self-help book, whether it be sales or leadership or whatever, every single morning. 
Then I go to my relationships where I send out five text messages and just give a kind message to five people yep. that I want to build a relationship with because I believe relationships are the new economy. The, of every seven-figure deal I've ever done, I've traced it back to a relationship that I had. So relationships are invaluable. So, so for 15 minutes every morning, I'll send five messages to somebody and just start building those relationships, building those relationships. And then I'll pick five things that I must do today to drive revenue because revenue is extremely important. Making the most of your day with Craig Ballantyne, episode 71 from September, 2020. Everybody that I coach goes through these three steps. The first step is a brain dump. You can use a scrap piece of paper. You can use yeah. a giant whiteboard. You can use the little scripting pads that we give to people and in our coaching. And you just write down all the things in your head. You know, I got to call this person. I got these three calls. I got to run this errand. I got to go to the gym. I got to, you know, go to F45. I got to, you know, whatever it is, right? You got all these things. 18 things are on the list. But when you do that, you go, Oh my goodness. All right. I'm glad that's out of my head. <laughs> now it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, do you, have you ever played Legos with your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's the biggest Lego set you bought? Oh, that's a good question. Probably the old techniques. Uh, I, I, I bought one of my business partners. I thought this was the greatest gift. I bought him the death star. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's 4,000 pieces. And he looked at me and went, I hate you. I hate you for what you've done here because all I see is picture on box and Lego inbox. I don't see Lego all over the place. Right. But as entrepreneurs, busy parents, we're walking around with 4,000 pieces of Lego in our head, mm -hmm. all jumbled up. Right. And so it's a very unclear picture. The brain dump is like taking the Lego and spreading it out over the table. Or very much yeah. like when I was a kid, you know, I did play with some Lego, but also played with jigsaw puzzle, you know, things. Mm. And you take a thousand pieces out and it's like, okay, it's still a mess, but at least it's out. Now we can organize and start putting it together. So step number one is that brain dump. Step yeah. number two is now we organize it into a priority to-do list. If you're doing your to-do list in the morning, you're already too late. And that's why people are stressed mm. out. You need to do your to-do list the night before because first thing in the morning, you have the greatest willpower, discipline, and intention the greatest willpower, discipline, and intention, which means if you have to write a new sales script or you have to write a chapter yeah. for your book or you have to do hard, hard work, doing it first thing in the morning is the greatest chance for you to do it. But most people, what they do is they wake up and they do gratitude journaling and yoga and meditation and exercise, and then they do their to-do list. And like, okay, well, now you've been up for an hour and a half and you haven't gotten to any work. So do the to-do list the night before. And then yeah. when you wake up, go to your hardest activity as quickly as you can and you'll make more progress, which will release more of the pressure belt. So that's the second step is taking those 18 things, identifying your top two or three really important tasks, making very clear that you're going to attack them in priority order. And then also scripting out your day so that, yeah, you pick up the milk and you get the F45 and all that stuff, but you attack the day. And then the third thing because most, most people who are good get there, but they miss this third thing. And the third thing is something that I stole from Chip and Dan Heath in their book, Switch, which was all about habit change. And they said, you want to make the path to success as smooth as possible. So for example, like if somebody listening to this has ever tried to take up an exercise habit and you're not a natural exerciser, you've probably heard, oh, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go for a run. But you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh yeah, I don't know where my shoes are. And, 
So, you know, I don't know where my workout clothes are and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cold out there, but it's warm in bed. Yeah. But if you put the exercise clothes and the shoes right beside the bed, you put them on and, you know, half begun is half done as Mary Poppins once said. So, yeah. so there it's the same sort of thing with our work. If we know what we have to do in the, in the morning, like, like I'm a writer, I write some books. So if I like, if I say, okay, my number one priority for tomorrow morning is to write chapter two. And then I wake up and I open this computer and there's nothing but a blank document staring at me. I'm going to go, I don't know what to say. But if I have a title and five subtitles that I thought of the night before in that process planning, all of a sudden it becomes a whole lot easier to write 300 words for five subtitles rather than 1500 words. So think about what you can do the night before in a minute or two to make tomorrow morning's work easier so that you slide right into it and wow, if you do that, you will triple your productivity, which means opening up more time for either homeschooling the kids or finally getting that exercise or being able to have a little bit more sleep, uh, getting yep. to bed early or whatever it is the, night, the next night. The King of Sales, Jeffrey Gittimore, episode 41. This was the sales mindset back from March, 2020. The mindset that you have of, you know, creativity and, 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 and constantly learning, you know, do you ever have, find challenges where, you know, you, your, your mindset diverts away from that such a positive and, and abundant mindset and sometimes you find yourself in a negative frame of mind? Of course you do. Yeah. Everyone does. The, the key is to recognize it and get over it. Yeah. People who say that, oh, I'm having a bad day, that's their choice. I might have a bad few minutes, but I'm not going to have a bad hour. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to process it and let it go through and done. You know, my, my, I can tell you the day my mom died, the day my, my dad died and a couple of other days, I literally had a bad day. Yeah. Other than that, I have a bad minute. Mm. Here's the deal. Several years ago, I'm going to call it 20 years ago. I'm rounding the corner, going to a big meeting in South Carolina, about three hours away. A big meeting for me, because one of my mentors was there, the whole nine hours. And my steering wheel stuck. And I ended up hitting a pole, and the airbags went off. Yeah. Now, what did I do? Get all pissed off? Nah. I called the insurance company, got a tow truck, called Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and told them to bring a car over as fast as they possibly could. I'm two blocks from my house. I got in the car and drove to the to the place. Yeah. I, I'm not going to, well, just in an accident. Give a shit about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Either, you, either you, you lament it and you get all pissed off about it, or you just let it go, babe, because yeah. it's no big deal. Nobody got hurt. Nothing bad happened. Done. You know, and the, and this is interesting that you talk about this because, you know, I coach a few salespeople and, you know, one of the things that I find is the one day turns into two, turns into a week, turns into a quarter, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're really struggling to hit number. And, you know, yep. I, had, I had one yesterday and I actually, I flipped it and I said, well, you know, he said, oh, the leads are bad, you know, oh, the CR and the system. And I said, but hang on, you know, four months hey, of ago. Of course the leads are bad. Wait, you show me a salesperson, I'll show you bad leads. <laughs> That's right. 
correct? 100%. That, you know, that's the conversation we had. I said, mate, when you were peaking, were the leads the same? Yes. Did you have the same manager? Yes. Did you have the, you know, like, tell me what was different about your company? Well, nothing. So the only difference is your mindset, and he actually got it. Going back in time for this one to the very first episode we did on the Sales IQ podcast. Are we starting with the right prospects with Mark Hunter from November 2018? This is the difference between true cold calling. Hey, let me just give you a telephone directory and have you call phone numbers. You know, yeah. you know, you know. I don't care what you. Say say right now, we have to be targeted. So this means I'm going to do research on a part. I, I was just with a gentleman this week and he sells into a number of different industries, but he did research on this is a very critical industry. Here's some critical companies in that industry. In other words, he did research to, to begin narrowing it down. He, he then began to do some research as to who in this company, again, the internet, all options there. And within two phone calls to one, company, he was able to get an in-person meeting because he had done a little bit of background, a little bit of research. And he said, you know, the cost of me traveling to go to this meeting and have this meeting, there's certainly cost, but the value, the outcome I know that I can help them with and the revenue that I know they can provide to me and my company certainly warrants for me to go have that meeting because he had done a little bit of research. So I think we're way past. Let's just let's just pick up the phone and let's just start punching in digits. No, we're 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 way past that. Yeah. But I believe by just doing a little bit of research. So what we can do then is now we begin to feel okay, here's the right market. Now, what's the right timing? Well, what's the critical event happening in their industry? What's the critical event and and because suddenly this is going to trigger uh, them trigger in a prospect's mind the need that they may have to change behavior. They may have to do something different. So boom, I can sit there and call. What's the seasonality of when they buy, how they buy. I mean, all these various elements come into play and allow you to say, you know what? I need to make these calls this particular week, or I need yeah. to make these calls this particular week. Now, there's one other piece that I can't let slide. You know, some of the best sales advice is found in our shower, in our showers. Now, I, I'm not talking about me being in, no, no. I, I, <laughs> it, look, look in your shower and you're going to see a bottle of shampoo. And there's two very critical words on that bottle of shampoo. And you can take these one, these two words to the bank. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. What does this mean? You may have to reach out to that, that prospect four, five, six, eight, ten times. Yeah. But, but here's the whole thing. That first word was rinse. Now, the whole idea of rinse is you, you, you don't wash off the old shampoo and put that old shampoo back in your hair. No, you get new shampoo. You get a new message. You get a new message. What you want to be continually doing is coming back to that prospect, providing them with new insight, new information, new questions. And ultimately what happens is they do say, hmm, I need to talk with this lad. I yeah. need to talk with this gal. I need, I need to speak because they have information I need to know. Who could forget the sales athlete, Chris Muddle, developing a mindset for what's possible 
episode 87 from December 2020. Yeah, so I had a one of the owners of the company, he's a billionaire, his name's Peter. He, he came out on the road with me one day and he made a comp to me that resonated and, and it was about family and how important family was. And yeah. at that stage being number one, I was all in. And my, so in other words, I was 100% selling and I was probably 20% everything else. Yeah. So that's good for cash flow, for clients, for rewards, for accolades, but it wasn't so good building and forging relationships with the people closest to me. So within one day, my daily routine went from 12 hours of selling to 10 hours of selling. And then by the end of the year, I scaled it back to eight hours of selling per day. So what that meant for me was I had to do the same or similar sales results in approximately two to four less hours every single day. And if anyone's ever done that, it's not mm. easy to do that at all because I'm not saying you suppress your expression or you, 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 you sort of have to be all in to become number one in my, in my opinion. But what I was able to do is because my habits were so disciplined and my rhythms every day is four meetings booked face to face, see three meetings or see three potential new customers, qualified meetings, and with an intention to engage one new client. The average client size in my world is $22,000 per client. And so long as I do that every day and every week, every month, every quarter, on average, I'll be seeing 150 new clients on board the services that I'm representing and $3 million of business every year. Yeah. So basically that's been my averages every year, whether I've been working 12 hour days, 10 hour days, eight hour days. So the system works and the disciplines work. So even in COVID, as an example, same stuff. I get up at four o'clock, I do my morning routine, I've spent time with the kids. I've then came into the office today, we're doing a podcast this morning at 6.45 a.m. I've got my first sales meeting at 8.30. Currently I've got five sales meetings and because it's COVID, they're via Zoom at this stage. I've got my calls in between those meetings already scheduled and in my mind, I'm going to come away where I'm going to be able to help and engage with one new client by the end of today. Now, this isn't anything new. The only thing that's changed today compared to maybe two months ago is my technology, my environment, my process, and my pitch had to slightly vary to match the new circumstance, but it's the same disciplines. It's the same numbers. It's the same rhythm and it works. Yeah. And when I coach this to other people in sales, it's the same thing. There's a certain amount of activity, which equals a certain amount of results. So technically I argue, I don't have lots of time to go into social media and, and put all these posts on all these sort of stuff. Of course I do. And that's an excuse and limiting belief, but I'm just saying if a salesperson is doing the right job, they're very, very successful and they don't have to further promote because they've got enough existing clients to help. Yeah. They've got enough existing partners to help. And as I said, most of my business is done through referrals. So technically, I'm doing inside social selling as opposed to outward. Yeah. I don't know what the phraseology would be, but my social selling is in my networks, not out there into cold people. I've yeah. got no idea who they are. Put that coffee down. Always be closing. A very famous line from a very famous movie. But no, this is not that line and this is not that movie. This was the episode with... The man himself, James Muir, author of The Perfect Clothes. Episode 39, 
26th of February, 2020. Well, you have to discover what it is, that, that, what, their, what their challenge is and what's actually going to help them get there. And that's going to be unique yeah. for every client. So we don't go into a sales situation assuming that, the, that, this, that you know the thing that's going to help this customer. You don't assume that. Mm-hmm. And so we just, it's called tabula rasa, right? We just go into the situation thinking, all right, well, what can I do to serve this person, to help this person? And by the way, adopting this mindset will make your selling so much funner because you, you actually don't have control. So the degree you keep leaning into it to try to control a situation that you can't actually control because there's another free agent involved, you're going to get frustrated with that. So what you can do though, is you can walk in knowing that you're going to sell, serve that person as, as well as you can. And then the key is just to understand, you know, how can I walk them through? What questions can I ask them? What, what things can I ask that will help them uh, develop their understanding of their situation, help me understand it. And then we can together think, okay, well, what's the best solution? And you should also walk into any situation with the, the idea that if you can't serve this customer best, you're going to point them to the person or the solution that can help them the yeah. best. Right. And, and so, so that way, you all you have to do, you can walk in completely congruent into any situation, knowing that you're going to walk out of there feeling great about yourself and the customer. And I, I will just tell you a crazy story. So I had a, a client that I did this with, and we actually did not make the sale. I actually recommended, yep. this is a group in Arizona, a medical group, and I actually recommended that they go purchase a different solution. Two years later, that person recommended Glenn Edwards out at Banner Health Systems in Phoenix, Arizona, and that turned it ultimately to a $10 million deal. Now, if I hadn't just served that person correctly at the very beginning, right? Would I have ever gotten the referral to the account that landed us the biggest deal that we'd ever gotten? I don't think so. And so that's the whole thing is in you, um, as the salesperson, you know, we have quotas and we have things like that. And so I call it commission breath, but when you go into a situation with all that pressure of, Oh, am I going to achieve a quota? And you know, how can I close this deal? You're sending a whole ton of nonverbal signals that you do not want being sent. And so Yep. Just adopt a different mindset where you're going into the situation, you're thinking, how can I best serve this person? And I'm going to serve this person as, as yep. best as I can, regardless of the outcome, whether it benefits me or not. And if you do that, you'll end up with situations like the one I just told you. Now, I had to wait two years mm. for the payoff, right? But that was a very big payoff, right? And a, and a very big validation that that's the right way to serve people. Smart Calling with Art Sobchak, episode 75, back from September 2020. I believe sales is the greatest profession in the world and we should all be proud of what we do as sales professionals. But there most definitely is a difference between a sales professional and a sales hobbyist or dabbler. Just like there's a difference between a sports professional and the person who plays a pickup game in their backyard, you know, on the weekends or whenever. And the professional is somebody who works at their craft. They fine tune it. They, they are constantly gathering new information, new knowledge so they can better themselves, they can fine tune their skills, they're constantly practicing, as opposed to the person who just puts in their time and just going through the motions and they're they're just mailing it in. Yeah. So yeah, most definitely, and, and I know in your business and like in mine, we've seen both and yep. in almost every organization, there are both right now. But I want to ask you a question. When it comes to calling, let's start with what should people not do? Well, what people should not do is simply follow the numbers game mentality, which is I need to just place more calls. And part of that has to start with management as well. But 
it's not totally up to management because I still believe that whatever situation anybody is in right now, they control for the most part. Granted, with the pandemic, when we're recording this, some people have been really thrown a, a curveball and they're in, in bad situations. But still, life is full of choices. I mean, we can go find new opportunities. We, we, we can change things. So what, what can people do? Number one, have the mindset of, I'm not just placing cold calls. If you are prospecting, if that's part mm-hmm. of your job, okay? That's, that's primarily what we're talking about here. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to place a cold call. Matter of fact, I have this fear. I have this horrible fear that I would call somebody up and not be relevant to what's going on in their world. And and that's what part of the thing that drives me all the time every time I pick up the phone is that I want to make sure that I'm talking about what's going to be relevant and interesting to them so I can create some curiosity and they don't perceive me as the stereotypical salesperson, not the, you know, like I said, we're professional salespeople, but let's face it, for a lot of people out there, their view of salespeople is still the you know the yep. stereotype, the fast talking person who's just trying to jam something down their throat. Okay, so n- number one is the mindset. So don't have the mindset of the the smile and dial, throw it up against the wall. Also, I'll get a little bit tactical here. And in the book, I've got I think twenty nine mistakes that people should not make in the first ten seconds of a phone call. And many of these are actually perpetuated and taught and used by people out there. I mean, there, I, I was just going through LinkedIn the other day again, and I, I was pulling my hair out, what, what I have left, and because people were suggesting all these goofy things that they, they said they say at the beginning of a call, and I can't imagine anybody has any success with it. And it was actually troubling to me because I was hearing things like they, they would start out, the very, they wouldn't even introduce themselves to their company, but they would start out with, I want to let you know that this is a cold call and I am a salesperson, or this is a, or I am I'm a salesperson. This is a sales call, or I know you're busy. I won't take too much of your time, or I won't waste your time. And I'm thinking in all those situations, what is the salesperson doing? They are embarrassed and they're apologizing for what they're Mm -hmm. doing. And if we are a professional salesperson, we need to believe with all of our heart that we have something that is going to make somebody's life better and make their organization better. It's going to cause a change that they want. And if you don't believe that, you shouldn't be placing a call. And if you have to start out a call with an apology, to me, that is ridiculous. Yeah. And professionals, I mean, how are they going to view you? They're going to view you like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you are bothering me. What do you have? As opposed to following the process where we introduce ourselves, we make a connection, a connection being, I know something about you. I understand this is going on in your world, or I know this is one of your initiatives. And then what I do is I'll give my specialty and say, what I do is I specialize in working with, and then I could either give their title or their type of company or their situation. I I specialize in working with, with sales teams that have new business quotas who are now doing cold outreach but aren't getting the type of results that they're looking for, for a variety of different reasons. And what we do is help them implement a proven process that in many cases increases their response anywhere from 10 to in some cases as high as 80%. I simply like to ask you a few questions to see if we should have a further conversation. And finally, the perfect email with Carl Coleman. This was episode 53 from June, 2020. The best guidance I can give for subject lines is keep them short. Okay. One to three words. 
is the kind of the sweet spot. Try to avoid using their company name. Yeah. That tactic has been completely overused and is killed. now no longer working. <laughs> yeah, killed. I, I, I think that if if you have personalized something well, the, the rest of the email well, or at least the opening, I, I should say, then using the words you or your in a subject line, you know, your press release or your article on LinkedIn or whatever, it, I think that's a, still a pretty good tactic. I know it's one that John Barrows has made popular and yeah. and maybe is less effective because of its popularity. But the reason that keeping it short is so important, the subject line, is because what I mentioned before, every single email client in the world shows the first 20 or so words of the actual email itself. Yeah. Don't don't compromise that real estate with a really long subject line. Okay. So have a, a subject line that's really short that bleeds into the first line or frames up that first line of your email so that you maximize the chance of the person A realizing that this is not just another automated email and B that they open it up. Yeah. That's that's the best you can do with subject lines and, and intros. So we've spoken about the email, we've spoken about, you know, three words, short, it compels them to open and you're yep. maximizing the real estate of that, of the actual intro of the email. Yep. So then they've opened the email and what should, you know, what should it look like? Should it be long form? Should it be short? Should there be pictures? Should there be no pictures? Should it be branded? Should it not be branded? Tell us a bit about sort of how to send high quality, you know, outreach emails in the body now. Yes. Um, a few tips. Text only. I don't like images. I don't like GIFs. I don't like branding. Text yeah. only. 125 word limit. And separate thoughts belong on separate lines okay. with a white space in between them. You need to make your message as easy to consume, as easy to digest, as easy to scan as possible. And if you send a block of text, good luck. It's yep. getting deleted. So separate thoughts for, in separate lines is a hugely important tip that a lot of people completely overlook. Yep. And then before you send your email to your prospect, read your email out loud. I know it sounds crazy, but read your email out loud. And if it sounds like something that you wouldn't say that I wouldn't say to you, why are you saying it to your prospect? Yeah. Like make it, keep it professional, but don't be overly formal. That's crazy. And don't be filled with jargon that only makes sense to your company. Make sure you're speaking in plain professional language that will pique their interest. Yeah. If you can do those things, your, your, your response rate is going to skyrocket. The last thing I'll say is send your email to yourself first and look at it on desktop and look at it on mobile. You get one swipe on a mobile phone. And if it's more than that, they're not going to respond. It's too long. So okay. 125 words is kind of the key there. So just on that, right, in that 125 words, how much should be your value prop or your narrative positioning statement, whatever word you want to call it, how much should be about you versus them? Should all be about them. Okay. It should all be about them. And you can couch the value that you provide to them, but it should all be about them. Yeah. And so if you can prove to them that you understand what's top of mind for them or the pains that they're experiencing, and you can segue pretty seamlessly into the value that you provide, the benefits that you provide with that your solution provides, then you've done your job. Okay. And typically the way that's done is by softly providing content that they can explore, that they can click through, that they can get the details of exactly how you solve XYZ thing by you just saying, hey, here's something that other folks have found interesting, thought you would too. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Yeah. And that's your call to action. 
in those first few emails. Very soft, very inviting. It's this concept that a person on LinkedIn, his name is Josh Braun, yeah, has yeah, made popular. Good making deposits. You want to make yeah. a few deposits first before you try and make any withdrawals. If you go in guns blazing, asking for an hour of their time without any framework or any context for why they should care, they're not going to care. Yeah. So that, that would be my suggestion is keep it short at the beginning and provide value via content first. <laughs> 